Welcome to Misinformation, hosted by Rebecca Jones and produced by Big Mouth Media. This weekly podcast with Florida COVID whistleblower Rebecca Jones dives into the world of disinformation and how it's hurting America and democracy. Now, here she is, Misinformational. Hi, everyone. This is Rebecca Jones, and I am Misinformational, and I am here with Dr. Cindy Banyai. And you might know us both because we ran for Congress this past cycle and against two of this week's most trending and hated GOP members, Byron Donalds and Matt Gaetz. So this is our weekly podcast, and we've got a lot to cover because we've been off for two weeks, and a lot has gone down in the last two weeks. That's right. Happy um, New Year. Happy 2023. I know, and I actually have not mistakenly written 22 yet. I'm proud of myself. It normally takes me at least three months to get the year right. And so I was like, I was writing 23. I was like, oh, wow, look at that. I've managed to retain some information in my long COVID brain, which is always nice. Yep. And I got, I had COVID right before Christmas. I started 2022 with COVID and ended it with COVID. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I don't want to go through COVID again. I've had it twice. It's twice too many times. Gee, if there was only people out there that were giving us proper information so we could protect ourselves. Oh yeah. But then they get their houses raided on camera and then the governor goes, they did that with honor. They pointed AR-15s at a two-year-old with honor. Thank you very much. That's what he said. We are going this week to cover a couple of big stories. Our misinfo story of this week is actually going to cover Greta, the Andrew Tate controversy in pizza boxes. Uh, Our disinformation story is going to cover Prince Harry's release of his book, Spare. Our malinformation story is going to cover the uh, alleged Russian ceasefire that did not actually occur. And an honorable mention, of course, of George Santos, which we will get to (laughs) in a little bit. Oh, my gosh. Before we dive into the fact checking. Oh, man. Yeah, it's been a heck of a lot of stuff. I'm so glad we're going to cover Greta and her sick burn. Um, Because that brought me some joy. There's a German word for enjoying the suffering of others. I was thinking about making a word of the week, but if I had to pick just one for this week, it would be Backfeifengesicht, which is a German word that it doesn't have an exact translation into English, which is part of the reason it's such an awesome word. But it's essentially, literally, it would translate to a face in need of a Yeah. <laughs> so is that Matt Gates' middle name? Yes. <laughs> That is bad, Gates. It's literally when you see someone and you have an uncontrollable urge to punch them in the face. They just have either one of those faces that's like, I just want to suck this guy for some reason. Or it's somebody who's a well-deserved backfiving gazeached. And yeah, yeah, so Matt Gates, I got trending with backfiving gazeached this week when he was on his showboating pony and then eventually almost got his ass literally kicked. Um, House floor by a representative from Alabama. And then another representative, we'll cut in the video here, there's no sound to it, said something to Matt Gates after the 14th round that made the man look like he was going to shit his pants. And then he changed his vote. It is, I gotta say, you always wonder like what somebody saying something so critically terrifying to another person looks like. And now we have video because whatever he said, you can, he went pale under that orange makeup and it was shining through it was quite scary to watch to be honest and now we're all with the mystery of what it could have possibly have been 
And yeah, so that was always fun. But the word of the week is going to be back fiving Gazich. Love it. I just, I love it. Yeah. And Adam Kinzinger was also talking about how punchable Matt Gates' face was this yes. week. So yeah, I that's mean, part of the reason we got it trending. Yeah. <laughs> oh, when I was doing the debate with him, I had to sit about four feet away. And this was after he had published photos of my son online on Facebook and in Twitter and make fun of him. They mocked him for calling him low energy. He's autistic. And so I had to sit next to him that whole time. I didn't actually look him in the eye once because I knew if I did, I would be getting out of my chair. I would have walked over to him and I would have knocked his lights out. Like it, there was no question. So I've been in the wanting to punch Matt Gates's lights out. So I'm somewhat sympathetic to the representative from Alabama, even though apparently he's an anti-Semite. But I was like, yeah, but in that moment, all of America was cheering for that anti-Semite to punch the shit out of Matt Gates. <laughs> But it would have been a beloved moment. Yeah. At any rate, Matt Gates is a dumpster shit fire. There's that. And I don't know why in the world they went with Byron Donalds. Maybe you can provide some insight to that. Yeah, I was watching. So Byron Donalds is my two-time opponent. He's just got sworn in for a second term, which is weird that he was then nominated for Speaker of the House. But apparently it's part of this broader, far-right, club for growth-backed Freedom Caucus trying to take over. So their point is that Anybody who's qualified should be able to be speaker and it doesn't have to be this like old school seniority, blah, blah, blah thing. There's parts of it that has to do with Trump and Byron Donalds. I knew he was gunning for something because he just ran for conference chairs. So he's okay. really trying to shake things up and saying, hey, I'm the guy that can do things. The other thing to remember about Byron is that he is like the straight man for the clown show is the way to put it so he because he comes out he is cool calm collected he's actually he's the opposite of matt gates in person he's like really nice <laughs> he's like affable really makes you think that he cares when he doesn't he's the opposite of the matt gates phenomena but his his work wife is lauren bober and they just he is in with these crazy people on the right and i think that part of it was this kind of ridiculous failed strategy that they thought that if they put up Byron Donalds as a black Republican, that they could actually win over some of the Democrats to vote for him. Even though the Democrats were also nominating a black man. So, oh, and then I we're called racist for not supporting Byron Donalds, right. even though they nominated a black man as well. And then they called me a racist when I'm like, hey, you, because I, I did a special on my podcast, Dr. Cindy Speaks, on Byron, because I said I'm probably the person that knows the most about Byron, save for probably his wife, and I might even know a little bit more. <laughs> because I've spent two years trying to bring out to light, he's massively corrupt, like school of choice. His wife is running an organization that sets up schools, uh, charter schools to take money from the government in perpetuity, FEC violations, ethics violations, felonies that magically disappeared when he decided to be a Republican candidate. It's well, just, there you go. yeah, <laughs> lots of fun. Yeah, exactly um, how I thought I was going to be spending my new year. Yeah, I know. Right. I'm sure they would love it if we gave them more time. I did for this special breakout, one of my campaign shirts right here. So yes. we do have those. <laughs> Love it. But uh, yeah, let's go ahead and get to our <laughs> misinformation story of the week. Perfect. Like we've talked about before, misinformation isn't necessarily shared with an intent to harm or even with knowledge that it's false. It's just something that's false that becomes shared widely and people don't really know whether or not it's true. They just keep sharing it. Sometimes that information can be harmful. 
So like when people share things that are generated from Russian troll farms about vaccine misinformation, that's obviously a potential health hazard. And then sometimes it's harmless. And that's what our misinformation or even funny. Our misinformation story of the week is it's actually about Greta and Andrew Tate and pizza boxes. So if you don't know, I don't even, it seems like it's been a lifetime over the last <laughs> two weeks. So there became some kind of Twitter pissing match between this. He's a former kickboxer or something. I don't know. There's too many losers in the world to keep up with each individual one and what their background is. So all I know of him is that he used to be some kind of fighter, apparently got kicked in the head too many times and isn't all that bright. And his followers are a bunch of misogynists. That's all that I know. Until yeah, I saw this. that he was being touted as like a right wing media influencer, right? That's his role these days. Yeah, yeah, I guess it is. I literally did not. I had heard his name for the first time like two months ago and then knew nothing more than, OK, he's a bad guy until recently. So they get into, he's a grown ass man too. Greta's what, 18 now? She just turned 20, I think. Oh, 20. Um, okay. Uh, like a well, she's ago. a climate activist. She became famous very young for her role in trying to bring awareness to how climate change is impacting younger generations. Very straight shooter, brilliant young girl. And some reason Tate went after her, of course, in, indicative of his personality type and made this stupid video about all of his cars and how many he had all of these cars in his Romanian castle or wherever he was living and what his carbon footprint was and she responded back with sure enlighten me you can email me at smalldickenergy at getalife.com which of course is a man of this type he could not let that go so he made a second video where he's talking about how this pizza box that he had was not recyclable it was like a ha ha and then he was raided not long after. <laughs> and the story that went viral was is that he was identified by the location from the pizza company that was shown in the video. And that would be ultimate just, justice and that would be hilarious. And Greta did get a good dig when she said something along the lines of, see, this is why you should buy recyclable pizza boxes. But the misinformation here is that he was identified using the pizza box. He actually was not. It's a great story and it doesn't do any harm to anybody to say they identified him through this one specific method. Um, so there's no malice intended there, but it's not true. And that's the shame. It's not why you got to spoil our fun. But I've seen some people aggressively fact-checking people who are sharing it. I'm like, it's okay. Calm down. It's funny. We're not doing it to hurt people. It's funny. But it's not true. The Romanian police had been working on targeting him for a raid for some time. It ended up being a coincidence that it happened after this very public spat. I'm not sure where the original rumor, because I've tried to chase it back in the Twitter firehose, originally came from. But it was a great story. So we all ran with it. And we all ran all right. with something that wasn't so true. Say, so that part was not true. So what I had seen on it, because I was like, thought it was hilarious. Because yeah, I was just yes. like, a, a I shared it. Her. Oh, my God. Like, um, that's a crazy story. Because prior to the pizza box, like, I shared the first one. Because it was like something she was ragging on admissions. And he shared a picture of himself in a Bugatti or whatever, right? Yeah. But yeah, the pizza box thing that what people were saying is that it was located, they didn't know he was in country or something. And you yeah, know. which seems suspicious when you think about he did a video of his car at a gas station that would have also <laughs> have been easily identifiable as right. being in country. But yeah, the 
idea was is that they didn't know he was there or where he was located there and that the pizza box was a small company which that part is true and so they called the pizza company and then they said where they delivered to it but that's unfortunately not the way that it happened i'm sure that company is getting lots of good oh, yeah. feedback now <laughs> hey, and listen the bright side of this story is the bad guy still got in trouble yes like, he did there is a true part that came after that, and that's the Romanian government did seize every single one of those cars that he was bragging to Greta that he had. So they are now in possession of the Romanian authorities, so he doesn't have any more. Um, and yes, he, he's been raided before and is involved with sex trafficking and all kinds of fraud allegations. Which isn't that surprising. Yeah. Apparently he runs like an incubator is what they call it when you have a bunch of tech people who do videos together and he has a lot of girls living with him that are maybe not there if they're entire free will doing videos. So that seems to be what the that aspect of that case is focused on. But he did lose all of his cars and Greta is still a badass. Yeah. And it's I don't think it does any harm that particular story so those of you who are correct that it's not true or accurate you don't have to so aggressively attack everybody who shares it it's not damaging but see, so that's our misinformation story of one thing i did see and i don't i haven't checked this but that he was bragging that he had 33 cars but the romanian oh, government only seized 11. i heard that see it's not confirmed but they released a statement saying that they seized all of his property in Romania. So if he had cars that were not in Romania, then he still has them. It might be that he does have 30 some cars, just not all at that one house at that one time. He probably has multiple residences, multiple cars at other places. I don't think he only lives in Romania. I think he has houses in like the US and somewhere else. So it would stand to reason he's got cars at other places, but they see maybe all when it comes to measuring or counting, he just multiplies by three. Because it makes them feel better. Oh, yeah. That sounds like an SDE move if I've ever heard one. <laughs> God, and you know what's so disappointing? And I know this is superficial, but people do it to me all the time. Be superficial. Is that every single time I hear about one of these guys who's held up at the, as this pillar of manhood, I'm so disappointed when I see their picture. Here I am thinking they're going to Superman. And they end up looking like somebody egg-shaped, like wannabe scrawny little shithead. And I'm like, God, that's what you guys think manhood looks like? Like, my husband looks like manhood. This guy just looks like some whiny little bitch whose ass I could probably kick. And I'm not even a fighter, so. Yeah, I would give him a go. I'm a striker, yeah, though. Yeah, you It's just, I'm always so disappointed to see that. that I would say I did like the people. long shot with the car, but that must be just because I'm a car girl from Detroit myself. But the, when I got closer up on it, I, the more disappointing I got, disappointed I got. <laughs> well, yeah, I saw a picture of his face and I was like, really? Really? Yeah, there's so much from Explains better. a lot why he's got women trapped like, in his house. He's not John Ham, guys. Give me a break. Like, the, he's just not. But that seems to be a recurring theme with a lot of these. And maybe that's part of it, is that part of the incel movement is people who blame women for them not getting dates because of their awful personalities or because of the way they look. So it's like an ugly man's march. Right. Yeah. yeah, so that guy's apparently son of a bitch and is getting what's coming to him. But as I said, it's not true, but it was a funny story. But there is a disinformation story this week, something that is being generated artificially with intent to harm. And it's being picked up widely across social media. I've seen a lot of pushback on it, but, and that would be parts of Prince Harry's memoir that just came out called Spare. So 
if you weren't aware, Prince Harry actually did serve in the armed services. He was deployed overseas. He did see combat. And some of the excerpts from his book have been taken wildly out of context, having read those pages and then seeing what's selected. And it's reflective of this larger disinformation campaign against the prince and his wife, Meghan Markle, that's been going on for ever since she came into the picture, pretty much. And it, it's, it is meant to discredit Harry and uh, draw critics out. And that's not hard to do. If you go to botsentinel.com, you'll see where Chris Boozy, who tracks hate campaigns, has an entire section dedicated just to Harry and Meghan and the artificial, basically, injection of hate into social media that kind of ferments this distrust, disliking of them online. There's another section for Amber Heard. A lot of that shit that you saw on Twitter was not real people. It was bot and troll farms and people who were paid operatives to make people more sympathetic to Johnny Depp, who is absolutely an abuser. And we found that out, of course, after the case was. And hopefully I will be added to that one soon because we were talking about the new flurry of accounts that have popped up harassing me since I'm now back on Twitter. But um, yeah, it's designed, it's very much done in partnership with the royal family and the British media, who of hmm. course have their own reputation. The Harry and Meghan documentary that came out recently, I think it was on Netflix, went through this, what he calls the institution, which is this marriage between the royal family, the politics, the money, and the British media, and how toxic it is. And as someone who has been targeted by the worst of British media, the Daily Mail, I can say from experience, it is incredibly hard to hold those people accountable. Meghan Markle is the first person to ever sue them and win. And yeah. after all appeals were exhausted to win clean, I was interested in suing them way back when they did the Santa's hit job back in May, 2020. And because they're across the pond, the same like slander libel laws do not apply to them here as would apply over there. And then American media got to cop out and say the Daily Mail reported so that they're not held liable for what they're saying because they're just reporting what someone else reported and that someone else is immune to prosecution. Yeah, it's just, it's all bullshit. But that's our disinformation story of the week. And I had an even worse one and that's malinformation. So this is where we rise to the level of information warfare. This is, I would say, a classic definition of it. Russia proposed a ceasefire between them and Ukraine for 36 hours during the holidays. And apparently it was for quite a cynical purpose. Not only that, but it was a lie. And multiple Ukrainians were killed during that time period. There was not a ceasefire. And as soon as the time expired, they had that time to prep and move and started attacking immediately. And malinformation, of course, is the most dangerous kind. It's not just misinformation, which is false. It's not disinformation, which is meant to harm. It's strategic. It's for a military advantage. It doesn't always have to be for military, but this is obviously what that was. And they spread it like wildfire over social media that they were proposing a ceasefire. How, what a good show of faith for an invading country and unlawfully invading and occupying your land country to say, you know what, it's Christmas. For, I think for a few days we can stop fighting, wink, and then use that time to continue to attack you and send backup supplies and get ready to attack further. So That's I have a question about that, though. Was that like... um Was that a formal ceasefire where they diplomatically came together? And they then did not Russia double back on it, or was it just something that got shared? No, it was an actual proposal from Russia. 
to do a ceasefire. And the Ukrainians, of course, would love a ceasefire of any kind in their country because that they're the ones being attacked. And yeah, it was all a lie, but it was spread on social media to try to make Russia look so magnanimous to temporarily halt their siege of a sovereign nation. And it turned out to be false. And they tried to limit the amount of information about what they were really doing, including still attacking during that time period to make them seem like generous people. Because there was one incident in which a Ukrainian person or soldier rather fired back upon Russians. And then they used that in Russia to say, we gave them, they can't, they're such barbarians. They can't even wait 36 hours to give our hardworking soldiers time to be off for the holidays. And it's straight up military propaganda. But speaking of Russia, (laughs) speaking of the largest, one of the largest producers of misinformation, disinformation, and malinformation in the world. Yeah, pissed off one of their people, apparently. So I've been working on this project, not in secret. I published one of the early connection maps that was made available by Little Sis. So that was all data that was already preloaded. And uh, there's a, an American man named Michael Caputo. We're good. There's a lot of Caputos that are up to no good. He was actually had in his official capacity was Putin's chief propagandist in 2000. He oh. was, worked directly for him to do image command. Before that, he worked for Boris Yeltsin. And so he's also connected to Christina Pusha and, of course, Matt Gates and Roger Stone and Michael Flynn and Donald Trump. And I haven't gone too far into the direct connection to DeSantis, which is, I find that differing. But as I was working on mapping out these connections, especially where Russia and American disinformation connect, he was one of the objects of gravity within the map. So a lot of people were connected to him or through him, through other people. And I thought maybe he's one of the evil geniuses behind manufacturing all this chaos. And then when he started attacking me on Twitter, I was like, no, I don't think so. He's just a, he's just a useful idiot. He's just every single lie that's ever been said about me. He pretty much put into one tweet and didn't deny any of the relationships or the connections or of his previous work or anything that. And I was like, guys, don't you get tired of having the same debunked shit over and over again? Like you're the evil genius. You're that easily baited by a 33-year-old researcher. I was like, come on, no, you're not an evil genius. You're just a dumbass. And you're clearly not in charge of anything of import. So I'm going to I'm gonna move on. Cl- clarify for us, though. So this Caputo, is this the Politico reporter? No, this is it's Michael not. Caputo. That is Michael. Mark Caputo. Yes. So Michael Caputo worked for Donald Trump as the head of HS during COVID, had a mental breakdown during that time, started spouting conspiracy theories about things. He's in a lot of his own trouble. He had some issues with failure to register as a foreign agent, as did Mike Flynn and some other people. Mike Flynn was part of it. problem, too? Yes, she did. She uh, belatedly registered as a foreign agent for acting on behalf of another government while working for the state of Florida Hmm. and attacking me. But yeah, so he's just this uh, direct connect line to Putin and all of his associates for a lot of people in the Republican circle. And he's most closely connected with Roger Stone. And of course, we know Roger Stone's connections with Matt Gaetz and Flynn and Trump, especially. But Roger Stone hates DeSantis. He hates DeSantis. He went, there was a couple weeks where DeSantis just disappeared in near Christmas of 2021. And he had, unfortunately, two of his press agents give out conflicting stories. One said that he was 
on Christmas vacation with his kids. And then Pusha came out and said that he was at his wife's bedside while she was getting chemo. The and then Roger Stone comes out and says, now nah, he was fucking this Newsmax reporter. And we got video. And I was like, what? That's brilliant. So they like each other. So it makes me wonder, because clearly Pusha was planted with DeSantis for a strategic reason. She ran propaganda for the former Georgian president. So you don't go from that to where she was without purpose. And so I thought maybe she's DeSantis's handler for Russia because I can't find a whole lot of friendliness between Caputo and DeSantis, aside from Mark Caputo, but that's a other thing. And he's closest with Roger Stone, who hates DeSantis. Matt mm -hmm. Gates has gone Team Trump over DeSantis, and he's very close with Matt Gates. So I'm not sure what that relationship is there. But then again, Russia just enjoys watching the United States tear itself apart. So it could be that they're just seating people in all of the potential presidential nominees. So they have somebody everywhere. Yeah. But of course, Pusha is kind of an exception because she has basically served as co-governor for the last few years, ever since she got her job for stalking me. Um, <laughs> before her charges against her for violating a restraining order were dismissed she got that job so that's nice but yeah so it's an interesting web to say the least and i can't even load it all at once anymore because it's so interconnected but i think it's some of that wild. yeah i think some of it you expect it's corruption it's a political party everybody's gonna know everybody i have to take out people like marco rubio because they share so many large donors that just give millions to all the republicans that it's not necessarily a personal connection right. or something like that but at the same time, the direct lines to Eastern Europe are the things that I'm most interested in. Sure. Um, that's where things get interesting. Yeah, for and sure. And it, it's so obvious. Like, why would you even associate with these people? And it's like, oh, corruption. That's why. Yeah, because especially in Florida, it's like it's ham-handed corruption. It's like they, the Republicans control everything. So there's really no check. There's really absolutely no check. So they've put all the judges in. So even if you go to an ethics committee, it's all people who are connected so you know that's oh, yeah. what happened with byron donald in his yeah, in the head of the ethics committee in florida who don gates matt gates oh gee like the father of matt yes yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly and it's just like this one grotesque interbred circle of power moronic power frankly like it's just it's like you, you can't believe it and it's out there but they also control the media so that you don't really like always hear the stories. You hear it a little bit and then it just boop, goes away. You, you see the, the thing with Joel Greenberg, right? The who apparently Matt Gates was there when he was making counterfeit IDs for their underage yeah. chicks to go to the Bahamas, right? Yeah, they were he there in the like, Bahamas together. Greenberg pled guilty to sex trafficking on that right. trip. But right. Matt Gates, who was there and doing the exact same activities, has thus had no indictments and part of the reason that they found this dummy is because he broke into one of the offices that he was supposed to oversee to make the ids and just like drunkenly left it scattered across yeah. the counter it's but that's just what i'm saying like it's just so ham-handed here and it's to the point where I think if people, the misinformation, disinformation is really working because it's confusing people and they start looking at it and they're going, well, of course, why would they be so stupid? You can't believe that they're this stupid, but they actually really are. And then they just have these other handlers. The one other thing I just want to say about this, that's really wild thinking back and I'm a little older, just a little older than you, but my background's in international relations, right? So I remember the day that 
Russia was like the bad guy in the Cold War. So like my whole time growing up in the 80s. And that was the geopolitical thing is that Russia and the United States were the two battling hegemons and they were fighting for global control and blah, blah, blah. And so the fact that we're at this point with the Republican Party where not only are the Russian agents saying and manipulating the Republicans because they're so ridiculously ham-handedly corrupt, but that you actually have part of the conversation with everyday Republicans or Republican voters where they're like, maybe Russia's not that bad. Like Putin's kind of a cool guy. And it's mind blowing. Sometimes I'm like, did you guys like forget all of that other stuff? And that's not to say that we shouldn't continue to have diplomatic relations and work towards a whatever, a peaceful world. I'm all about that hippie, hippie stuff. But the thing is, it's like just the maneuvering on it is just absolutely mind-blowing. They controlled the image. They shifted the public image. They had key political people to do that for them, including Trump. But they played the long game, the information long game. And there are probably most Republicans will still tell you today that they believe the whole Russian influence in the 2016 election was a hoax, even though it was not. It was proven. They indicted, I think, 18 people as part of that, that they absolutely did sway the American conversation and to better themselves. But even that is something that they won't accept. They'll say, oh, the Russian hoax. I was like, that was proven, right? And they're like, yeah, sure. It's like, no, it was. There are people in prison because of this. It's like, if you control the narrative, it's much easier to discount any opposing viewpoints pretty easily too. But yeah. yeah, And even when I shared the New York Times brief short documentary about Russian information influence, literally the comments were like, yeah, I'm going to listen to the New York Times. I was like, it's not necessarily the New York Times. It's the evidence that's contained within it. But you probably also believe that AIDS was cooked up in a U.S. lab and that COVID was intentionally created with Fauci and intentionally spread from a lab in Wuhan. And they literally said that in the floor speeches for the Speaker of the House. Yes. And so we got to figure out, I'm like, what? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And uh, they didn't want to invest any money to prevent something like an actual lab leak happening, but they want to spend five times as much trying to investigate whether it happened, which makes so much sense. Which actually brings us to, since you mentioned the House floor, our honorable mention of the week, because he's a person, I don't know if we can count him as misinformation, although he's certainly a, he'd certainly get close up there, but we'd be remiss not to mention George Santos. (laughs) Oh in this God. episode, if that's his real name, there was even we don't, a, we don't yeah, know. I know. Like when they called his name during roll call, he didn't respond for like several moments. And people were like, "Hey, that's you," and he's like, "Oh, wait, it is." I've seen some pretty wild conspiracy theories already popping out about this guy. Who, let's be very clear, is an absolute piece of sh- lying shit. Um, people are asking whether or not they think that this might be a plant to have an assassination attempt because nothing about this man is actually known. Right. He lied about his mom dying in 9-11. And then she died, I guess, in 2016 too, which is not at all bizarre. And I think uh, everything that he's used to try to get himself elected was false. He falsely stated that he had friends who were killed in Pulse. He did not. He basically... Yeah. Companies that didn't exist. Yes. He fabricated apparently his entire resume. He went from being okay financially to rich overnight when he decided to run. So it's, the whole thing is bizarre. He's a liar. Um, 
this was not something that was unknown. His opponent this year brought this, not all of it. They didn't have enough money to investigate everything, but they knew that a lot of what he was saying was false and brought it to their local news who, of course, powers that be don't always let that run as the front news headline that candidate for Republican Party for Congress lies about XYZ right there splash on the front center. They don't do that. But the New York Times got wind of it from somebody else. And if so, now they're all like, oh, how did no one know? It's like, well, it was your fucking job to find out. And you didn't do it. So it's not like you didn't know. It's like the same way that Matt Gates could get front page stories every time he actually managed to come around here. But when he bullied my son on social media, which should be a front page story, they didn't. He's like, Matt Gates bullies 12 year old autistic boy of opposing candidate. Nobody even spoke about it. Other than PolitiFact, who fact check him and were like, yeah, he, this is false. He took this picture of this kid out of context and we're not sharing it because the mother asked us not to, blah, blah, blah. But uh, they didn't care about that. So it's just, yeah. But yeah, he's, he's something. What's been interesting. So I was actually close with one of the Democratic primary contendants for New York 3, Melanie Diarigo, who now in the aftermath has been front and center pointing out all these different things. So I'm hoping to get her on my podcast to talk about that as well, because it is pretty amazing because that seat flipped too, by the way, that was a democratically yep. held seat and it flipped. And then to find out that everything about this George Santos fellow is completely fabricated, even down to, was he really gay? Cause he was yeah. like the gay Republican or whatever. They, is he also, really Hispanic or black or Jewish? Well, really? there's a couple. So I want to ask you, cause I know you've been following a lot. Is the story about the Brazilian fraud police coming after him? Is that real? There was a legal incident in Brazil. I can't find anything authoritative to say whether or not that's something they're actively pursuing or something that was something in the past that Brazil has no interest in pursuing. There were no authoritative sources on that. Other than that, we found this information of this thing that had happened, what the status is. I'm sure somebody's digging right now because it's a huge story. But yeah, well, I heard were... that the Brazilian authorities are interested in actually continuing the investigation, but I'm not sure. I read that too, but I didn't see when I read the articles, any source from the Brazilian authorities stating that they're actively seeking extradition for charges. All right. So that's, we'll wait yeah. and see. There's some truth to yeah. there being some past. And that might be correct. It's just, I always look for the primary sources in a story. If you really want to get down to whether or not it's true. And in the stories that I saw that there were no direct statements from the Brazilian authorities related specifically to extradition. That doesn't mean that if he goes back to Brazil, he won't be arrested. True. But I imagine they go as far as to extradite him. A U.S. congressman. We'll see. Yes, okay, there's one other question I have, because this okay. was weird to me and people were sharing it. So apparently there's a picture when George Santos was voting and he had his hand up like this and then he did like a half. Oh, it's a white, power. it's the white power symbol. It's not even half. He was supposed to be taking his oath. Okay. And while he was, he looks, he was in like doing one of those flamenco, I think it is ballet where you do like the shells. Yeah. So it's a town guy, town guys. He's just reenacting his Broadway hit. He was the star and Tony winning actors. But no, he, it definitely was intentional. My friends <laughs> asked me and I'm like, ah, there's a lot of weird stuff going on with that guy. So like, I don't know if somebody no, I, I saw the, There's pictures from different angles. It's authenticated. He did definitely intentionally make that symbol with his hands. I don't think he was actually, see, that would be misinformation. The fact that I said that he was reenacting his Tony award winning, which is of course a joke that everyone is making of him. He was there for the moon landing. 
Jamie Raskin probably nailed it the best by saying during all the turmoil during the speaker of election, he tweeted out, we never had these problems when George Santos was speaker, but it's fun stuff again. But no, he definitely did it. And that's not an accidental gesture. There's the video of, if you go back on C-SPAN of him intentionally making that symbol with his hand once his hand is up, which he probably knew would send the media into a frenzy because of what that symbol is and means. And the fact that he claims he's both half Hispanic and half Jewish and maybe partly black and gay, but maybe not. I don't know. We don't know who he actually is, which is insane. There's a person in the U.S. Congress who has security clearance and all kinds of access to our government officials who we have no idea who they are, which is terrifying. At least we know what Matt Gates is. We can say that we know exactly what the fuck he is. We don't have any clue what George Santos is up to. Hell, he could secretly be a Democrat and be playing the Republicans. Who the fuck knows? Nobody knows. The guy doesn't answer any questions. It's just, yeah. He voted for McCarthy, and I think that made McCarthy happy, so he wasn't going to get rid of him before. <laughs> yeah, that guy's not there, I think, to make any waves within Congress. But what he's there to do, ultimately, is bizarre. Totally. We'll see on that one. Yeah, so we'll follow along with the... Santos. <laughs> ridiculous. It's it is it's it's ridiculous to a certain it is. extent. And it's fun ridiculousness. It's sad, but it's also one of those times where you just have to laugh because it's so absurd that it's funny. It's awful and funny at the same time. Yeah. So yeah, it's uh, I'm cry for my our democracy in my sleep. <laughs> yes. I laugh and tear. I'll cry myself into tears over that. But it's Everybody's going to be making fun of that guy for years, but I, I think King Raskin nailed it. We're not worthy. I made a few jabs myself. We all get out of our systems and I thought the joke would become lame really quick, but then it's not. It's still funny every time it happens. There's always more. There's always yeah. more. But that is our coverage of bad stuff that's in the media that's not true even some that's harmless some that's funny some that's horrible and some that's involving warfare. So you can run the whole gambit in one week. True. There was so much. That's a heck of a kickoff for 2023. Yes, it is. And we will be speaking in a special segment with the founder of Occupy Democrats and the new social media network Tribal. It's actually his first podcast slash major interview ever. Thank God we had a very good mutual friend. <laughs> and I convinced him. I was like, hey, if you want to get ahead of... All of these competing emerging new technologies come on the show and tell people why yours is different. And that will help people understand your network different because Mastodon was always doomed to fail just because it's too, it requires a base understanding of some things in technology that aren't existent. Post mm -hmm. looked like it was going to be very competitive, very similar to what Twitter is. It's a mashup between Twitter and Facebook. But then I found out who was behind it and I was kind of like, eh. I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. Of course, you have Spoutable, which is Chris Boozy's, like we mentioned from Bot Sentinel Alternative, coming out sometime soon in the next month. So I think it, we should give everybody an opportunity to come and say, this is why we are doing social media better. And this is how we're doing it. And you should come check us out. So we will be talking with him later this week. Great. Looking forward to that. <gasps> Thanks for joining us. My name is Rebecca Jones and I'm Miss Informational. And this week we have a very special guest. He is not only the founder of Occupy Democrats, but also of the new social media work. 
Prego, go ahead, introduce yourself. Hi, everyone. My name is Omar Rivero. I'm a political activist and a social media pioneer, I guess you can say. I'm the founder of Occupy Democrats. So we basically make breaking news memes and political commentary. We also have a website and make videos. We've been pretty dominant on Facebook for many years, and we're starting to branch out to Twitter and Instagram, etc. Holding Trump accountable, holding the Republican Party accountable, and pushing the ideals of the Occupy Wall Street movement, which is socioeconomic inequality, Wall Street regulation, protecting the environment, and protecting the middle and working class. On Basically, on the side, I've also been quietly working on, in my opinion, a mechanically a superior version of Facebook. And even that gives you everything that those networks offer you, but also combines the social media functionalities of Facebook and Twitter with the forum functionalities of Reddit. That's tribal. And that's tribal, yes. And it's already live, but you're planning a new upgrade soon, correct? Yes, we have started rebuilding, remaking the app from scratch with the latest technology about five months ago, and we'll be ready to launch it in about five days. And I think it's a product. The technology would be on, at least from the user's perspective, it will be on par with Facebook and Twitter. It's super fast and new, sleek new design, and I hope you guys will enjoy it. Awesome. And so obviously one of the major concerns and topics of conversation right now in the world of social media is the recent spike in hate speech and harassment on Twitter, a specific spike that occurred afterwards was incidents of the N-word. How do you plan to keep tribal from becoming like Twitter, where that kind of stuff flourishes? Yes, so that's a good question. So one key difference between Twitter and tribal, I'm sorry, Twitter and Facebook and tribal is that we're not so worried about maintaining bad actors on our network because that maybe they'll give us ad revenue or bring more bad actors to the network that will give us ad revenue, similar to what Trump and sorry to what Facebook and Twitter did with Trump. So they knew that he was basically dismantling our democracy with every tweet and every single Facebook post. They knew that he was inciting an insurrection. The FBI had even reached out to them and warned them and they didn't ban him until he actually, until there was 140 cops being sent to the hospital and pieces being sprayed on the walls of our capital by his fellow insurrectionists. So what we do different on our network is that we ban people for life on one strike. So you post a swastika inside an insurrection or we would have banned Trump maybe a week into it just by the way that he was spreading lies and bigotry. And as soon as he came out and said Mexicans are rapists and murderers on a tweet, we would have just gotten rid of him for life. So we don't prioritize, we don't prioritize ad revenue. But what we do prioritize is creating a safe space for every human being to enjoy a positive social media experience. Awesome. Yeah. And that kind of goes into my next question was, do people get banned for life for things like spreading disinformation, which you touched on with Trump and the big lie, or for targeted harassment and things like that? And so it's a lifetime person ban is what you're saying. Yes, for that, for targeted harassment, absolutely, that's a lifetime ban, and that's an easy one. A much more difficult question is whether something is disinformation or misinformation or just simply a mistake made by a publisher. So we don't want to be the arbiters of truth, but the good thing is that we've never had a single piece of fake news content or bigotry or racism or sexism or homophobia trend on our network because the composition, the mechanics of our network, first of all, tell you to only post, so to reserve your likes and only post that you think is factual, accurate, 
uh, honest and open-minded and that basically adheres with our terms of service as well but it's a high quality post so what we did was we removed the share button we think that the share button is very problematic our algorithms we do have a share button where you can share on your profile but it doesn't tickle our algorithms similar to what facebook and twitter do for mm -hmm. example during the pizzagate story the way that it proliferated on facebook i myself was guilty of it i retweeted it and i also shared it on facebook saying this is total bs i can't believe people actually believe that this is true the problem is that when we do that even if you're we're amplifying it exactly it tickles the yeah. algorithms and then before you know it it's being amplified all over so we made a decision to go at it a little bit of a with a different strategy which is the algorithm the sharing feature does not boost the post in any way in the algorithms but the liking feature does okay. uh, so far in a way we've been able to crowdsource truth mostly because of the composition of our network it's mostly college educated women over the ages of 40 degree over the ages of 40 with liberal or moderate leanings so basically they're doing the voting and so far it's really working exactly as we anticipated that it would work so and that was pretty comprehensive so i guess i'll just ask an open-ended question is there anything else you want to say we're growing pretty quickly we have this new version coming out that i think is going to blow people's socks off and really put us on par technically and at least in terms of technology with facebook and twitter but i do think that we do have unique features that mechanically speaking have always even though we're a small network do provide a better user experience for the user in terms of being able to select an audience for your posts so you can send your post to politics or sports for example and you could also filter your feed to find trending and breaking content in a specific category like train sets or fashion and or makeup or politics or basketball, whatever you're into. So not only are we now technologically on par, but also mechanically, I do think that we're an innovative social network. And I hope that you folks check it out and let me know what you think. You can always send me a message at Omar Rivero says on Twitter. And if you need any help or have any suggestions, we're all ears. Awesome. This has been our Better Know platform segment, and we want to thank Omar and Tribal for the good work that they're doing, and we will see you guys next week. Awesome. Thank you, Rebecca. See you guys soon. Fantastic first episode of Misinformational for 2023. Thank you so much, Rebecca Jones, for sharing your knowledge with us. And I have been Dr. Cindy Banier here helping to have this amazing conversation with Rebecca Jones. And we will see you guys next week. We'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in to Misinformational on Big Mouth Media. Bye-bye. Three, two, one. Thanks for joining Misinformational with Rebecca Jones, brought to you by Big Mouth Media. Stay connected by visiting misinformational.com and check out all the great shows and articles on bigmouthmediafl.com. You can also join the conversation with us on Facebook, Instagram, and the cesspool that's Twitter. Don't forget to subscribe to Misinformational wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.